church. Hey, we're grateful that you guys are here. If you're a first-time guest with us, uh, I want to reiterate what Pastor Archie said. Uh, we're grateful uh, that you've taken the time to be here, uh, and uh, we hope uh, that today is not only welcoming, but it's meaningful, and uh, that you uh, and I walk out of here with a new appreciation for the church. And uh, you uh, can obviously see uh, everyone on our band and uh, all of our leadership team is wearing a church uh, a shirt that says, I love my church. And uh, we want you uh, to know that we really struggled whether or not we should do I love my church or I love the church because we are a part of one body and uh, it is a body called the church. And we're going to be looking at this one question today and that is what is the church? Like what is this thing called the church? And that's the one question we want to answer I know that there's a lot of confusion and speculation as to what the church is. There's a lot of perceptions that we have, a lot of ways that we describe the church. And we're going to kind of emphasize all those things. But today, there's no reason we shouldn't walk out of here knowing what the church is and what our role is as being a part of that organism, that that organization that God has created called the church. And so that's our goal. Now, real quickly, uh, if you have... Uh, this shirt. They're available out there uh, in the foyer, but on the back, you'll also see that there is something that many of you didn't even notice. Uh, And on the back uh, of every shirt, there's the Stone Point logo, the S, and then there's the URL to our website. It's on every shirt that we've ever done. The difference, though, is that it's missing three letters on this shirt, and it's missing the. And we're like, oh man, printing mistake. Now, actually, we've changed our URL over to stonepointchurch.com. If you go to thestonepointchurch.com, all it will do is forward to the new site. But there's a brand new site up. We launched it last night at midnight, and uh, we hope that you enjoy that. Check it out. It's much more, I think, user-friendly than the other one, and uh, it looks really good. So y'all check it out, enjoy it, and that's a great way for you to even have people check out our church uh, from a distance. If they're like, oh, I don't know if I want to go, you just have them check out our website. So y'all do that. Don't do it during the service, okay? Do it when you get home. Uh, but we'll, we'll talk about that. Let's pray together, and we're going to dive in and answer this question. What is the church? Heavenly Father, we love you, and we thank you for today. We thank you for the message of hope that you bring us. We thank you, Father, that you have allowed us to be a part of your special plan to make a difference on planet Earth, and that difference is made through the church. And so, Lord, I pray that as we dive in today, that you would speak into our hearts, into our lives. Lord, help us to see what the church is and how we can be a part of it. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me uh, to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians is in the New Testament. What you have is the Old Testament. It's the story of a nation. The New Testament is a man that comes from that nation who is the Messiah Uh, He is the anointed one of God. He is the one who offers hope not only to a nation in the Old Testament called Israel, but also to a group of people in the New Testament that are called Gentiles. Now, just FYI, maybe you're new to church. You're like, I don't even know what Gentiles are. Well, here it is. If you are here today and you did not grow up a Jew, then that means you're a Gentile. Okay, so here's the deal. If you're a Gentile, we just raise your hand. Okay, audience participation. Awesome. Okay, so... I have only seen and actually met one gentleman uh, that's come here uh, since we started who, and he came almost every week that he lived in town, and he was, uh, he was Jewish, and he would come week in and week out. And so 
Uh, most of us in here, though, we're Gentiles. And what I want you to see is, is that in Ephesians chapter 2, it's going to address both of these types of people. It's going to address this nation called Israel, uh, this story of people in the Old Testament, and it's going to address this group of people called Gentiles, which are you and I. Now, what I want you to know is this, is that as we talk about the church, we oftentimes are confused. We're like wondering, what is the church? Because many of us describe the church as a place. Like, for instance, you were talking to someone on the phone last night, and you were like, yes, you know, we got to get to bed early. We can't stay too late over here because we've got to go to church tomorrow. And so you describe it as a place, like it's a place that you go. For many of you, like your hesitation for the last two years to even come here is because you're like, is that really a church? Because it kind of, I mean, it doesn't really look like a church. It kind of looks like some metal building out there. And I mean, they don't have a steeple. And you associate church with a what? Building. And, and even better, you feel better if it's a nice building. You're like, where's the steeple? And like for so many people in here, you're like, that was one of the hardest things to get over. Like, where's the steeple, you know? So is it, is it just a place? Is it just a building? Is it more? I mean, because we use things like adjectives all the time to describe the church. Like, do they have good music? Like, and then what's good music? Because that's subjective, right? Because there are many of you in here, you're like, do they, have, do they sing hymns? And so is the church a place where they just sing hymns? Or many of you are in here, well, do they sing contemporary? Like, can I hear what's on the radio? And many of you think, well, is it contemporary? For many of you, you ask the question, if I'm going to go to that church, do they have this particular program? Do they have something for my kids? How is their youth group? Is it good? When do they meet? And we ask questions to help describe this place or this building that we're going. And we oftentimes make our decisions about where we're going to go to church, what building we're going to go to, based off of what programs and ministries are offered. And so the question is, is, is that what makes the church? Is it programs? Is it ministries? Is it a building? Is it a place? All these are great questions. But the bottom line is, is that I don't think any of those really make up the church. Really, if you look in Ephesians chapter 2, as we dive in, None of the things that you and I associate with the church are actually the church. Like, that's the crazy thing. Like, you and I, for so long, have been doing church. Like, we've been doing this thing. We are raised in it for many of us. For a lot of us, we were like, I'm tired of doing church. And so you left. You're like, I'm done with this. I'm done with people who make you dress a certain way. They want you to act a certain way. They... They're hypocrites. They tell you to do one thing and they do another thing. And so the question is, is, is are they the church? Are we the church? Who's the church? What is the church? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's dive in. Okay, here's what it is. In verse 11 of Acts chapter 2, it says, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called the uncircumcised by those who called themselves the circumcision, which is done by the body by human hands, Remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners of the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in this world. And you're here and you're like, I have no idea what that just said. Well, here's what that means. It has a therefore right there in verse 11 because in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, it talks about salvation. Salvation is a word that oftentimes is used. And, and church people, you and I, we often ask people this question. Hey, are you saved? 
And many times we don't even know what that means. Like, yeah, I'm saved. I was baptized back when I was 11. Is that what you mean? No, no, no. And what he says is, is this, in, in verses 1 and following, he says, salvation is what? A gift from God. And he says, it's by grace, Ephesians uh, 2, 2 verse 8, it's by grace that you've been saved through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not of yourselves. It's not by works so that no one can boast. But it's the free gift of salvation. And so the idea here is this, is that you and I get to God through the free gift of Jesus Christ. It's not like because we are, are good at what we do. It's not because we're, we're rule keepers. It's, it's not because we abide by God's word all the time. It's not because we dress a certain way. It's not because we go to a particular place three or four times a week. Matter of fact, like one of the biggest knocks on Stone Point Church, and I hear it all the time from people, they're like, I just don't know if I can kind of come here. Y'all don't have Sunday night church. You don't have Wednesday night church. And the idea is that we need more stuff to be the church. And really, all we know here is this, is what makes us the church is it has nothing to do with how many times we meet. It has nothing to do with where we meet. It says that we are what? Formerly Gentiles and uncircumcised. And the idea here, he says, is this. You're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And then in verse 10 it says, and you were created by God to do what? Good works. You are God's workmanship. So it means that God called you specifically to do something unique. He is making you, he is working in you to be something special. Therefore, you are now, what? God's workmanship, and that means you're not uncircumcised, and it means you're not the Gentile that you formerly were. What does that mean? Well, here's what it means. In the Bible, you have this nation called Israel. That's what the Old Testament speaks of. It speaks of a nation. Out of the nation would come a man named Jesus. This nation was given God's law. It's called the Ten Commandments. You've read it. You've heard it. Many people have said, if you want to love God, honor the Ten Commandments. The problem is, is that the law was made up in Jewish tradition of not just Ten Commands, but 613 regulations. 613 things that the Jewish people tried to do. It told them what to eat, what to wear, how to clean their hands, how to wash themselves, uh, how to be circumcised, all of these things. It was a list of rules and regulations. And the Jews, they were known to be good Hasidic or loyal Hesed Jews if they kept the law. The more laws they kept, the more they thought they were in right standing with God. And that was their goal, to keep a bunch of rules and regulations. The problem was, is that we know through the New Testament, we know through Jesus Christ, and we know through the prophets, that Israel could not be saved by the law. The law, the Ten Commandments, the 613 principles that they lived by, could never actually save them. All it could do was point to their life, the sin that they were filled with. It was showing them that apart from God, they were in trouble. The problem was they missed it, and they just kept trying to keep what? Law. They kept trying to be good, moral, religious people who went to a synagogue or a temple week in, week out, day in, day out, sacrificing, washing their hands, making sure that externally they're clean so it didn't hurt them internally, and all of these things. And the problem was, is in John chapter 1, it says that Jesus, the Messiah, came and he lived among them, and even his own people did not recognize him. 
Why? Because the nation of Israel was concerned more about being good, moral, and religious people rather than living for a cause outside of themselves through Jesus. Okay? So that's the nation Israel. Now, what made the nation of Israel spectacular? Well, here it is. They were circumcised. The mark that God gave them in Genesis chapter 12 and following, when he told Abraham the promise, he said, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a land. And those who bless you, I will bless. And those who curse you, I will curse. He says, I'm going to do something special with the nation of Israel. And to mark you, I'm going to require circumcision on the eighth day. And so Abraham went to his house and they circumcised everyone in the household. Kids, servants, and everyone. And it was to mark them to say they are God's people. And so here it is. You've got this Jewish nation, this people called Israel. And they love God and they serve him through laws and commands. The problem is they miss God's ultimate plan for salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And they would rather settle for the law. So here's the dilemma. God has this A-string quarterback. You got me? He looks the part. He is strong and he is talented. But the problem is, is he won't listen to the coach. And so eventually the coach has no other option than to take the star player and sit him on the bench. And he takes a lesser player, one who doesn't look the part, doesn't have a lot of talent, can't throw the football near as well. He can hand it off great. And every now and then he'll do something spectacular simply because he's coachable. And the coach would rather have a less suited athlete that listens and is coachable rather than the star player who's doing everything on his own. And you and I are the lesser. We are the scrubs sitting on the bench that God says, Israel, if you won't listen to me, if you won't recognize me, then I'll raise up another quarterback called the Gentiles to play the game. Thus you have this dilemma, this problem in verse 11. You've got the Gentiles who are uncircumcised. You and I, yeah, that was not the mark for us. Israel, the mark was circumcision. Now you've got this group of people in Israel who are circumcised, and they're saying, wait a second, what are you doing preaching to those sorry people over there? Are they, where are they from? Caesarea Philippi? Are they from another place? I mean, they're, they're nasty. Are they, they're from Corinth? They're from Ephesus? They're from Will's Point? They're not your people. God, we're your people. And here's the challenge. Israel was born into the promise and you weren't. But God said, because Israel won't listen to me and they're more concerned with being a religious people, I will raise up and adopt new sons and new daughters to accomplish what I need done. You got me? And so, that's what he says. You are new. You're adopted in. And so what does that make us? We, those who know God through Jesus Christ, are the church. We are the church. The church is a people. Got me? Praise God, it's not a building. Got me? Because we don't have it. We don't have the building. If it was a building, we fall short. Praise God, it's not programs because we don't offer here what you and I probably would love for us to offer. So what is it? It's a people. 
It's a people who have something that no one else on planet earth has. What is it? Well, there's five little things right there just in verse 12. Remember this. There was a day that you were separated from Christ. See it? There was a day where you were excluded from citizenship in the kingdom. You were foreigners to the covenants of the promise. Get this. You were foreigners. Like the Abrahamic covenant. He made it with with Abraham. He said, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you a people. You're going to have descendants as many as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Listen to me. That wasn't for America in Genesis 12. That's for Israel. Got me? Then he gives Mosaic law. Mosaic law was to Moses. And this is what he said. Here's the law. Moses, listen, dude. Listen, Moses. If you obey me, then I'll bless you. If you curse me, guess what? I will curse you. The problem is, let me time out. Time out. I'm going to take 20 seconds. The problem with the American church right now is that somehow a group of pastors across our nation have, they have adopted a Mosaic Covenant principle in their own churches. Can I explain Mosaic Covenant? Mosaic Covenant simply says, I will bless you if you bless me. I will curse you if, if, if you curse me. That was to the nation of Israel. That is not to American churches. And so we've got American churches believing that if we preach God, then guess what? He'll give us nice houses and cars. We've got pastors that are preaching that if we preach Jesus and we believe in him, then we can speak what, hey, but a word and our backs will be healed. Cancer will be gone if you have enough faith. And the problem is, is this, they're taking that strictly out of context and it's called a Mosaic Covenant. And many of us in our churches today, even in this room, if we're not careful, we fall prey to that sort of teaching. We post it on our Facebook pages and we have no idea what they're actually implying. We think because it says God is for you today, he is not against you, it, what they imply is, is hey, you, you have yet to seen the best you. And while there is some truth in that, that God is for you and he can't be, he's not against you, God is not saying or promising that life is going to be easy for you because you are not nation Israel. You are what? Gentiles adopted into his purpose and plan. So that's, that's just extra. You don't have to pay for that. You don't have to give or anything. That's just extra. But you were foreigners to the covenants of the promise. We, we were not guaranteed the Palestinian covenant, a land, we were not guaranteed the Davidic covenant of King David. David was told what? You will have a king and he will be great in the lineage and the line of David. He will, he will reign in the house of Israel forever. That's Davidic. So where are we in this? Where are we in all this? Well, we are the church. So why the church? Because this quarterback who was the A-teamer, he didn't do what God wanted, so he rose up a new church. And in Jeremiah 31, 31, he gave the prophet a word, and this is what the prophet said. And I want you to catch the verbiage. I want you to catch what he says here because it's so important. It implies who we are. Look at it. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Judah a people called Israel that had divided because of some kings that were arrogant. The nation is now divided. They have been plundered. The Assyrians captured the north. The Babylonians captured the south. They're all in turmoil. And for literally a thousand years before Jesus, they would, they would be scattered people. All the way until 1948, my friends, the people would not have the land that they needed. They're gone. They're out of it. God's removed his blessing from him. But he said, look, 
I'm going to make a new covenant with the people of Israel, the people of Judah. I will not, it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. See, he's not going to write the law on a tablet of stone. He's going to write it on what? Hearts. Sound familiar? I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbors, say one another, know the Lord because they will, what? All know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. He said there's a day in which the nation of Israel and Gentiles alike can be a part of the promise and promise is, is that I won't inhabit people in a temple they don't have to come to me by a high priest and sacrifice. I can live in them. They can be what? Made known to God through the great high priest and the final sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You have to choose. And he says, because of that, you are the church. So what is the church? It's a body of people. There's a local church. You and I are the local church. Yes, you and I are here locally. We worship God together. We proclaim Jesus Christ. Then there's a universal church. That means that right now in this moment, there are people in this city, in this county, in this nation, even across the world, that are worshiping God freely just as we are. The difference in the universal church is this. It's not simply because you meet in a building. It's about what you proclaim. The church of Jesus Christ, the church of God, His body is the one that proclaims Jesus as Lord. That he is the substitute for us. That's how you're a part of what? The church, the people. Got me? And then there's a heavenly church, right? So it's not just local, it's not just universal, there's heavenly, heavenly church. Uh, what does that mean? Hebrews chapter 12, it says we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. We look to people in the Bible. We look back to Moses, and we look back to Joshua and Caleb. We look to Paul, we look to Peter, we look to Matthew. We look to all of these guys, and we wonder, man, look what God did there. We look at Stephen, we look at uh, Bonhoeffer, we look at all these guys, and we say, wow, I would love to be a part of that and you are because you're the church uh, people right now look at 13 it says but now in Christ meaning you're a covenant you're, you're now into the covenant of promise you're not without hope you're not without hope in the world but now in Christ you were once far away and you've been brought near by the blood of Christ we are one people we are the church and guess what we have one leader yes like the hesitancy for so many of you in coming here, you're like, man, I don't know if I can trust that dude. I went to high school with him. I'm not the leader. Praise God. I'm not the leader. Christ is the leader. He is the head of the body. He is supreme over all things. He is the, what? Vine, we are the branches. He is the cornerstone and we are the living stones. He is the great shepherd and we are his sheep. We are mere contributors to him, we have been adopted into his family. You and I are even higher than the angelic realm. The angels are created to serve him. You and I are created to live in fellowship with him and what? In purpose for him. Wow! You are the church and you have one leader. Why? Because he brought you near to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. It was because of his death, it was because of his burial, it was because of his resurrection on the third day that you and I don't merely have to go to a building, 
put on a certain set of clothes, act a certain way, follow a bunch of rules that we couldn't keep anyway, and then hope one day we might make it to heaven. But instead, you know exactly what it says. You were once far away, but Christ has made you what? Complete. You were once lost. You've been brought out of darkness. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy people. You are a chosen nation. You and I are made complete. Does that mean we were once complete on our own? No. You were made complete. Who did that? You based off of your own works because you got it together and you finally went to some AA meetings and you turned over a few leaves? No! Because Jesus Christ lives in you and He changes you and He's made you into a new people with a new leader, with a new purpose, with a new vision. You and I who have experienced that are the church and He is our authority. Got me? Verse 14 says, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier. You're like, what? He's made the two groups one? Yes, to get this. You've got Israel over here, God's chosen people. Let me explain something to you. They think that Gentiles, particularly in, in Jesus' day, sometimes even now, they think that you and I are merely dogs. Meaning, we're not worthy to even eat the scraps from their table. They believe so supremely that they are God's chosen people that you could not convince them otherwise. And they are. But there's a difference in being what? God's people and also saved by His grace. For instance, you may be born into a really, really important and prominent family. But just because you're born of a prominent family doesn't mean that you are going to eventually go and experience God's grace. For instance, I have put my faith in Jesus Christ. My sons and my daughter, just because they're pastor's kids, do not give them a segue to the kingdom of God. They need grace just like I need grace. I recognize right now, trust me, they're far from God. You know what I mean? Quit hitting her. Do not do that. Get your hands off her. And then, of course, she's biting them back, right? I mean, she's holding her own. And I'm like, Lord, please help. Save them soon. I mean, the bottom line, I mean, truly, if your kids will get saved, your parents will become a lot easier. Until then, hey, there's enmity. It's hard. Why? Because they're in darkness. And there's enmity between this people who believe they're elect and there's enmity between these other people who are now being grafted in as adopted sons and daughters. Can you see the tension? And so here it is. That, I mean, that's it. And Jesus Christ, our peace, has what? Destroyed the barrier, dividing the wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. What created the barrier? The law did. Because the Jews believe that if you just keep these principles... If you wash your hands, if you're kosher, if you abide by these certain things, if you do temple sacrifice, if you get to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, if you keep it holy, if you don't work on it, then guess what? I'm grafted in. And Jesus says, no. Matter of fact, he puts the law with its commands and regulations aside 
And then look, his purpose is to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. If you have a New American Standard or an ESV version, it'll say one new man. And you're like, what is one new humanity? What is one new man? Here it is. The word for it is one new body. The Okay, hold on, let's try that again. One new body, the Wow, that's it. He goes, I am no longer going to look simply on this people and this people. He says, because the quarterback over here that's the A-teamer won't do what you're supposed to do, I will raise up a new people. I'm going to unify them together through the bond of peace, the blood of Christ, Jesus, and I'm going to make them one. They'll be called the church. And his purpose is to what? Create the church, making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. And so through Jesus Christ, what does that mean? It means we're family. Got me? If Jesus Christ is the center of your life, it means that we're family. Like, have you ever been around church people? Like, church people have some crazy lingo. Did y'all know that? Did y'all ever notice that? Yes? Like, if you haven't noticed it, it's because you're becoming churchy. But like, we'll be talking to people. You'll be like at the football game. You're like, man, I'm praying for you, sister. Oh, yeah, we are, we are bonded together through blood. <laughs> what? I mean, people are listening. You're like, oh, hey, brother, you know. And we're, we just say these casual things. And you go, well, is it because, like, we go to church together? Is it because we're just really good friends? No, actually, it's because we're family. We're family, and we are. We're grafted together through the blood of Christ. We have a bond that runs deep. The tragedy is, is this, is that God creates a family of God, and yet so many times in our family, we feel like we're what? Broken. There's very little unity within the body. You got me? I mean, you ever been there? I mean, you know, like so many of you, you walked away from the church because you saw a lack of unity in the body. You're like, I am not going to go to a church where at a business meeting they all holler and scream at each other. That does not sound fun to me. And the question is, why are they doing that? The, the reason why is because, one, they've forgotten what the church is. Church is not a series of business meetings. Church is not a building. And so, honestly, it doesn't matter what color the chairs are. We're just grateful that we have chairs. Oh, listen to that. I love that sound. <laughs> See, some of you are like, oh, man, I'm like, I wish that'd get quiet. I'm like, I love that. That's the church. And that's why I celebrate all that God's doing over there, man. It's so awesome. Okay, let me get back on track. <laughs> the thing is, though, is this, is that we've missed the mark on what church is. We are a people, and we should be unified. Why? Because God has taken us out of darkness, and he has brought us into light. And so we ought to be unified. We ought to be less concerned about all the things that aren't happening in our church and more concerned about all the things that God is doing through his people. Yes? And so like at some point, one of the greatest challenges that we're always going to face is this, is that keeping people on the right track and staying unified. We don't have time to quarrel or argue or to fight over politics or any other things that may be happening on the outside of these walls. Why? Because we are family. We are brought together by the bond of peace and by the blood of Jesus Christ. And at some point, you and I have to realize that if we're a people and we have one leader, 
then we need to set some other differences aside because of the common mutual uh, things that we have together. What are those? Well, the bottom line is this, is you have one faith, you have one baptism, you are the bond of peace. I mean, one God, one Father over all, he's through all and in all. That's Ephesians 4, just a couple of chapters over. And so you and I have to remember that. Then look at verse 17. Not only uh, are we the church, not only we have one leader, not only we have family, but look at verse 17 and following. He says, and he came and he preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. Did you just get that? He preached to those who were far away. Do you know who that is? You're like the Gentiles. That's like, yeah, the people in Ephesus, right? No, it's you. It's you. Do you realize you were once far away? Absolutely. That's why you need to say that's why you need to stop being so concerned with this question. Why is he preaching in a t-shirt? <laughs> like you've asked it. You've asked it. You're asking the wrong question. Why are they wearing shorts and flip-flops? Is the church a people that's dressed a certain way? And some of you are like, I'm confused. I don't know. It may be. If so... We'll go through bibliology together. That's the Bible. I'll show you what it means to be the church. We'll go through Christology. Show you where the church is found. That's Christ. I'll show you all of those things. But the bottom line is this. It's not a people dressed a certain way. It's not a people who seem to have their lives together. It's a people who are honest and real and vulnerable about where they really are in life and about where they really have come from. Because the bottom line is this. If you knew what went through my mind every week, you wouldn't come to church here. And if I knew what went through your mind every week, we wouldn't let you be members here. <laughs> but somehow in the middle of that, we realize we're the church, we are God's called out ones, we are family, and we have a mission in mind. And that mission is what? That we are the hope of the world. That's it. We're the hope of the world. And so consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but you're fellow citizens of God's people and you're members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. And so what does that mean? It means we are a group of messy, messy people. Messy people. Saved by God's grace. And I tell our staff all the time, the day we went wrong around here was the day that we started printing t-shirts that said, no perfect people allowed. You're like, what? Yeah, I'm like, my counseling schedule booked up. I don't have any time other than do, to talk to hurting people, right? Why? Because we're messed up. We hurt. And there's many of you, you're like, oh, I just don't like to talk about it. No, that is the greatest thing about the church. We are family. We bear each other's burdens. We walk along as the bond of peace, wanting to make a difference, knowing that we're the hope of the world, knowing that God has called us from those former things into a new life with him. And so what does that mean for you and I? Well, here's the bottom line. If you are the church and you have hope, then there's a handful of things that it means. One, the hope that you need and the hope that you have is found in the declaration of his word. We have a code and a standard of which we live by. We need to abide by that. We're not simply to, to have a moral, moral uh, or behavior modification, but to have an inside transformation. And as that inside transformation takes place, we live by God's word. That means that we have a set of principles and standards that we live by. We are the hope of the world. It also means that we 
our part is something bigger than ourselves, that we, <clears throat> we have a calling. What is the calling? The calling right there says this. What? Verse 17, preach. Preach peace. So the question I have for you is this. If you're the church, you're the hope of the world, you're a part of God's family, there's a unity that should be here taking place. The question is, why do you not tell people about it? Like, has God changed you? If you're like, yes, then preach it. Has God taken you from where you once were and brought you into a new relationship with Him? Then preach it. You're like, man, I don't like preachy people. You do not have to be arrogant, proud, and boastful to share your story. Matter of fact, what I've determined and found is that if I can and find some commonality with someone else, I can share my story of redemption with them. And you know how I find commonality with other people? You're like, oh, football. You talk about college football. No. Oh, fishing. Fishing. You, you talk about fishing. No. You talk about hunting. Uh, no. I talk about how I know where they are. I remember where I came from. And that is the greatest struggle for many of us in this room. We can't help people because for some reason we've determined that we're at a new standard of living and we've forgotten where we came from. Do you hear that? You were once lost. You were once without peace, once without hope, and now he's given you that. Well, share that with other people. And so will you do me one favor this week? I promise next weekend, I'll do everything in my power to preach a good message, okay? But I want you to invite someone. I want you to invite someone. I want you to ask them to come with you. And you're like, well, Brandon, I, where are they going to sit? Give up your seat. Remember, it's a people. It's not a church. It's not a what? A section of seats. It's a people who possess hope. And so we've got to invite messy people to be comfortable. Got me? And then look at this last little bit. Verse 21. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Do you see that? You and I are a dwelling we are protected in Christ. We are made whole because of him. And because of that, God will never leave nor forsake you, and he will not drop you. He says in Philippians, if I begin a work in you, I'm going to bring it to what? Completion. Got me? But here's the one thing you need to know, is that although that is true, that God has you protected, although you're a part of a family who has an enormous amount of hope and a calling to make a difference in this world, we also have an enemy. We have an enemy. We have an enemy. Matter of fact, just a handful of chapters over in Ephesians chapter 6, it says stand firm there. Why? Because what? We have a, an enemy, and it says in 610, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Is he, is he prowling around? Does he want to destroy you? Absolutely. Does he want to destroy your marriage? Yes. Does he want to destroy our church? Yes. Does he want to do it over t-shirts? Absolutely. Maybe. Does he want to do it over flip-flops? Maybe. Does he want to do it over drums? Maybe. Do you know what he wants to do it over? He wants it to do over everything that actually has nothing to do with his church. Think about that for just a second. 
the church is most commonly divided by things that have nothing to do with his church. It's most commonly divided by things that have nothing to do with his church. Should I say it again? So remember what he's called you to. The enemy is lurking. He would love to destroy our family, the bond of peace that we've been called to. He would love to make you think that the reason we're here is for something different than the message of hope, the message of light and salt around the world. I heard one pastor as he boarded a flight talk about what he does. And I don't know about you, but if you're ever around pastors, people think we're not normal. And and honestly, probably fair, okay? Probably fair. But like, I just watch people's response. Like when I, when I come up, like, it, like you just see, like the whole room shifts. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, for instance, uh, I'll give you an example. Um, you got a handful of guys. They're telling some jokes. They're on the golf course. Preacher walks up and everything stops. You know what I mean? <laughs> and like their language changes. Everything changes. Like oh, we can't say anything around him, you know? Um, same type of deal. You're at a football game, you know, watching the Cowboys. By the way, uh, I scored tickets to them on Thursday night. I'm so excited about that. <laughs> Extra bonus. Um, you're there, and, and somebody's, you know, they're drinking a little beverage or whatever. I come up, and they, like, throw their hat over the top of it. <laughs> it's like pastors, like, uh, they already think, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, we, we, we walk into a restaurant, you're there, you're having a glass of wine, it's like, you slide it up under the table. And so, like, there's all these things, the preconceived notions already. And so, like, when we're talking to people, a lot of times we don't bring up the fact, like, I'm not quick to say, oh, I'm the pastor at Stonebone Church, you know? Because typically that just takes the conversation downhill, quick. And so you got this pastor, he's boarded a flight, and he's talking to this lady as he sits next to her. And, and he says, hey, you know, how are you doing? They have general conversation. And he asks her the question, hey, what do you do? And she said, well, I'm an RN. I do nursing and stuff like that. That's phenomenal. Okay. And the casual talk, and she goes, well, what do you do? Without wanting to confess that he's a pastor, he said, well, I'm actually a part of this global enterprise. And I work for this large, large organization. She goes, oh, that's awesome. He said, yeah, we have outlets all across the world. Almost every country in the world, we have an organization there. It's like, wow, that's phenomenal. That sounds rare, rare you know, Rather large. And he's like, absolutely. It's a very large organization. She said, well, what do y'all do? She said, well, he's, we do a variety of things. Like, we do a lot of different things in, in communities and in countries. She's like, well, like what? She, he said, well, we've built hospitals. Uh, we've built schools. Um, we basically take care of people from the time they're born until the time they die. We see them through life. We help them with things like marriages and counseling. Uh, we, we do lots of different educational programs. We are tackling world hunger. We're talking about starvation issues. We're, we're really addressing sex trafficking issues. All of these different things. We, we've created uh, hospices. We've, I mean, we've done all these different things. And she's like, wow, that is incredible. So, like, how, how can someone be a part of that organization? Like, what? It, by the way, what's the name of it? And he looked her right in the eye and he says, it's the church. And see, what you and I need to know, and you need to hear this, you ought to be excited about being a part of his church. 
Like church shouldn't be boring and mundane. It shouldn't be about a set of standards or clothes or any of the things that we've made it. It ought to be a part of God's family radically making a difference all across the world. And I hear many people through my walk of life and in the circles that I'm influenced by or influencing, and we complain about things like schools and politics and boards and all of the different things. And I want you to know that while boards cannot change schools and boards cannot change communities, they can change policy, but they can't influence people. The church can't. And it's not because you and I are special, but it's because in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus made a declaration and a promise that nothing, not even the gates of Hades, would overcome his church. And so here's what you and I need to know, and this is profound thought that I figured out just, just this uh, last uh, year as I was gardening. The rows that I planted, and I put seeds and I watered, they grew. Profound. The rows that I did not plant and did not water did not grow. And so if you want to be a part of something special, then it means you plant and you water and you trust that God will grow His church however He feels necessary. But do not expect Him to bless you and your house if you're not willing to go to work. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And so my prayer is that God would raise you up as the greatest organism in the world, one who radically can impact everything we do. And you're wondering, you're wondering, oh, should, I, should I give to, you know? Should, no, you're asking the wrong question. We have memberships at workout clubs, at golf courses, and we put our, our investments in so many other things, and those things do not impact the world like the church does. And the one, church, one, the one organization that we oftentimes go, I wonder what they're doing my money. Well, maybe you ask them of that the gym membership. Why in the world do I pay $45 a month and I'm working on equipment that's 40 years old? That's why I don't join gyms, you know? But when it gets to the church, what do we do? You know. Let's pray together. Father, I love you and I thank you that you have made us a part of the greatest organism in the world, that we can radically impact things like world hunger, that we can really make a difference on, and take stands on things like abortion and, and children's rights, or that we can be a part of this global enterprise that makes an incredible difference on sex trafficking, on uh, marriages, on families. And Father, we know that it's not accomplished by our own efforts, but it's accomplished by your Son, Jesus Christ, who brought us in to the bond of peace, to the fellowship of your kingdom. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And we ask this all in your name. Amen.